circles of intimacy. And uh, let me just go to the springboard scripture this morning, Matthew chapter 20, in verse 20. <clears throat> Matthew 20, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one at your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm, I'm baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. And so we used this scripture a couple of weeks ago to introduce this whole subject or theme, the theme on the circles of intimacy. And what we are speaking of, what we are talking about is the fact that even though God is a great God, a God that is omnipresent, which means it's everywhere all at one time, yet this great, awesome, and big God also desires to move in close and intimately with every one of us. He's a big and awesome God, yet he wants to have an intimate, close relationship with us at the same time. In Exodus 25, in verse 8, we saw God say to Israel, let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So God wanted Israel to build a sanctuary so that he can relocate, if you will, come down from the heavens and be up and close and intimate with each one of them. What God desired then is the same thing he desires now. He's given us his grace, saved us, loved us, embraced us, calling us to himself. But he wants us to know that there is no limit to how close you can get to him. And in this passage I just read in Matthew chapter 20, John's mother came to Jesus with one request. There was only one thing on her mind. And that one thing was, I have two boys. Jesus, give me an assurance. Give me a guarantee. When you enter into your kingdom, let the one boy be on your right and the other on your left. I don't know about the rest of the guys. Just based on my two boys are in these vantage positions. Now, the amazing thing for me was, Jesus did not say, it is impossible. He didn't say, you are crazy. Why are you asking me this? No, it's not possible. No, he just simply said, are they going to be able to drink of the cup that was about to drink? So that, see, that, that tells me that the request was not stupid. It tells me the request of this mother is within the realm of possibility. Jesus is available. There is access that you and I can gain to him. So, now, moving forward in this message now, we said there are six circles of intimacy. Six circles. First one, the crowd. The crowd. And I'm praying this morning we will look at ourselves and begin to move from one circle to the innermost one. 
That's the goal for all of us. That we will not remain where we had been, but that we will begin to make progress and come closer to him. So the first circle is that of the crowd. What happens in the crowd? What's the dynamics? They want to hear a message. They want to see something. They wonder, is this guy for real? Stephen, ah, yeah, we're going to see. Oh, yeah, let's go. Yeah, I heard it. Yeah, that's right. So they come out of curiosity. And that's wonderful because it's out of the crowd that the next level comes. Zacchaeus was one of those guys that was in the crowd. He was curious. He heard something. He came nearer. He wanted to see. And what he saw, he liked. Amen? Amen. So we all begin in this big, huge crowd circle. And that's fine. But Jesus wants you to draw closer yet still. He does not want you to remain in the crowd, but he wants you to hear and see and move closer. So from the crowd, we move on to the next circle, the 5,000. The circle of the 5,000. What is the deal with the 5,000? At the 5,000 level, you have a need. You need prosperity. You need healing. Uh, you need something to be done. You need a relationship mended. There is something going on in your life for which you are now seeking him. The 5,000, you remember, Jesus was preaching and he said, the Bible said, uh, when he saw them, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Okay? And then, and then the Bible goes on to tell us that there was a need there to feed them. John chapter 6. So the 5,000 were fed. That feeding speaks to me and you of the need in our life that Jesus meets. For you it may be feeding. Others it may be prosperity. Others it may be a job. Something in your life that brought you out of the crowd into the circle of the 5,000. A need in your life that needs to be met for the moment. So Jesus in John chapter 6 gives them fish. Gives them bread. But he didn't camp there. He didn't stop there. He immediately in that same John chapter 6 challenges the 5,000. He said, your fathers ate bread in the wilderness and they are dead. Now, I just gave you fish and bread. But I want to remind you that your fathers, before you, they were also hungry years ago. And God gave them quails and manna and ate in the wilderness and they died. He said, so what I'm saying to you is, my flesh and my blood, they are the true meat that you really need. I am the bread of life. In other words, don't camp in this circle of intimacy. Don't camp at the 5,000 level. Yes, I'm going to meet your needs. But after I've met your needs, you need to recognize the real need in your life. It's not for bread and for fish. Those are transient needs. Those are temporary needs. When I have met those needs, there's yet a vacuum in your soul that only the Son of God can fill. So from the crowd, we become part of the 5,000. We have needs. Those needs are being met or they are met. But Jesus does not want us to ever come there. Are you hearing me this morning? So the next circle is the one I want to really dwell on this morning, and is the circle of the 70. The circle of the 70. We go from the crowd, we become part of the 5,000 who are having our needs met, 
and the message for the 5,000 is don't just focus on the gift you receive, but please focus on the giver of the gift. There are gifts to give you. You're going to be fed. You're going to be healed. You're going to prosper. Things will happen. But those are gifts. Don't get carried away with those gifts. Rather, behind the gifts, there is a giver. That's what Jesus was trying to help them to see in John chapter 6. So now to the circle of the 70. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. You go from the crowd. We become part of the 5,000. And now, Luke chapter 10. And, and the reason for me, because I've studied ahead of you guys and, and I'm a little excited about this whole uh, theme or series, and the reason is because when many of us come to God, we are like Apostle John. This man's profile really, really has done something for me. I'm talking about John the Beloved, the guy that wrote the Gospel of John. You see, when you begin to see how this man's life has been so transformed by his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it becomes very challenging for me. Let me give you highlights of his profile. The first time we saw John in the scriptures is in Mark chapter 3, verse 17. In Mark 3, 17, John the Beloved was referred to as a son of thunder. Son of thunder. Can, do, do you, can, you, can you almost infer why he had, why they gave him that nickname? Son of thunder. That nickname gives us a little glimpse to the kind of temperament John had before Jesus. Son of thunder, spontaneous, just let it, just bulldoze it in a way. Just kill them, destroy it. I mean, son of thunder. In Matthew chapter, no, no, rather, Mark chapter 9, verse 38, he was the one who, because some people were not following their instruction direction, he told Jesus, let's call fire down from heaven for them. In Luke chapter 9, verse 44, you see how vindictive this man is. Now, I'm showing you this because after having seen this profile of this guy, a son of thunder, a man that is critical and intolerant of other people's different view, almost like politics in Washington. I can't resist that temptation, I'm sorry. Critical, just critical and intolerant. And of course, a man that is so vindictive. And then all of a sudden, in John chapter 13 onwards, he begins to call himself the man whom Jesus loves. How does that happen? How do you change from a son of thunder to a beloved? How do you change from a mind that is critical and intolerant of others to a beloved? How do you change from a man or a woman who is vindictive? People do you wrong, you just want to rub their nose in the ground and put your foot on their neck. How do you change from that to becoming tender, gentle, loving? What happens? That process can only happen, not because you memorize scriptures. 
It only happens as you spend time and you allow him to rub off of you. That's the only way. And that's the reason for which Jesus says, listen, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All the things that cause you to be a son of thunder, all the things that cause you and I to be critical and judgmental and intolerant of others, bring them to me. All the things that cause us to be vindictive in our attitude and mindset, bring them to me. Come unto me from the crowd. You are in the crowd. I see you. Come. Make movement. Begin to journey towards me. That's what John did. And to our dismay, before our very eyes, as we read the scriptures, John is changed. John is changed. And if John changed, you can change. If John changed, I can change. And I pray for change this morning. In the name of Jesus, that that same glory of God that was upon John to bring a change in his character, to transform him into the image of the Son of God, that God's grace is upon us right now to bring change to every man, every woman. In the name of Jesus, you will not be the same in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we will not be the same. God will be proud of us. God will say, yes, yes, this is the man for whom I die. This is the woman for whom I die. Because God is the one that's at work in us, both to do and to will of his good pleasure. And we will yield to him. We will submit to him. And his purpose will be carried out in our lives. In the name of Jesus, no one will frustrate the plan of God for your life. In the name of Jesus, nothing will be able to frustrate the plan of God. You will make progress. You will be like God. You will smell like God. You will speak like God. You will talk like God. You will be like your father. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. That's what God wants. We are created in his image and likeness. Image talks about the spiritual constitution of who we are. Likeness talks of the behavior. The behavior. Not only are we going to look like him spiritually, but we'll behave like him. In the name of Jesus, that's the way we're going to save our generation. That's the way we're going to save the world, by being like God. And you know what the good news is? It's already done. That's the good news. We just need to line up with what God has already done. Oh God, open our eyes. Let us the glorious revelation of what you've already accomplished. It's a done deal. Father, we receive it. We walk in it. We embrace it, Lord. Thank you for the reality of it in every life in Jesus' name. So now, Luke chapter 10. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Now, I can just move right on, but I need to do justice to this to just help you have some understanding. Why did Jesus just pick somebody? Is this just a random number? Uh, did he go to Las Vegas and pull the levers and something came out? 
Or did he just roll the dice? No. No. He is the word, remember. Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He said to the Jews, search ye the scriptures. For in them you think you have life, but they are they that testify of me. So this man, Jesus, was full of the word. He wasn't just picking a number at random. He knew in Exodus chapter 15, verse 27, I can't read it, that God said in the Israelites' journey, the Jews or the Israelites came to a place called Elim, where there were 12 wells and 70 palms. Prior to that, maybe I should even take you a little further back, in Genesis chapter 10, when you read Genesis 10, there is a list, or rather a table of the list of nations in Genesis chapter 10. And when you count them, in the New King James translation, or the King James, there will be 70 nations. So what am I saying? And then again, you can see this in Numbers 33 verse 9. So Genesis 10, Exodus 15, 27, and Numbers 33, verse 9. The point here is this. 70 is God's number for nations. It's a number for the nations. Okay? So in Exodus 15, we saw where the 12 wells will supply the 70 palms. 12 is apostolic number for church government. Okay? So the idea here in Jesus appointing 70, and if you have, a, if you have an NIV, it will say 72. Don't fret. Don't be, the Bible is still correct. Okay? 70 or 72. Okay? Whatever the instance is. But the idea here is Jesus is sending this 70. Notice what it says to every place where he's about to come. Future. So these 70 are going to be the carriers of his kingdom message ahead of him. Now, the implication is that even way back then, Jesus had his eyes on the nations. He had his eyes on his nations. Ah. I'm trying to see where to go with this. In 1980, ah, okay, just pardon me here, I'm having a conversation here with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. In 1980, the United States hosted the Winter Olympics in Lake Placid, New York. It was one of the most incredible sports events in the history of this nation. Because in that competition, everybody that knew anything about sports and ice hockey knew 
that the Russians were anointed to carry the truffle before they even arrived here. Everybody who was anyone who made any commentary about any kind of sport basically said, Russia, just show up, pick up the truffle and go back home. That's the way it was. They were that good. On the other hand, the American team, Team USA, were just a bunch of young boys that they got from Boston College here, University of Pennsylvania here, just put them together, no real skill, and definitely no experience. The Russians have been playing almost from their mother's womb. <laughs> to show you the disparity. Now, we are told that the locker room speeches are a coach's last chance to fire up the team just before any game. So that means we need to find a new coach for the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> because whatever speech that guy is giving before the game is not working. People who understand the sport thought it impossible for any other team than the Russians to win the gold. Now, if you watch the movie, The Miracle, it recounts the locker room speech given to these American underdogs by Coach Herb Brooks just before they took to the ice. The lines were short, determined, and stirring. Here's just a few. And there's a reason I'm bringing this into this message. This is what the quote says. Great moments are born from great opportunity. And to those kids, he says, and that's why you are here now. You were born to be hockey players. Every one of you. And you were meant to be here tonight. This is your time. Now, go out and take it. That's not the part that gets me. He goes on to say, when you pull on that jersey, You represent yourself and your teammates. And the name on the front of a jersey is a lot more important than the one on the back. That's what got me. And that's the sense of what Jesus is about to say to these guys. The name on the front of your jersey if you ever seen an Olympic game, the front of the jersey carries the name of the country you represent. Yes. So for those young boys, as they pull those jerseys on, the name on the front says USA. Yes, it's on the back. So the coach says to them, this is going to be a great night. You represent yourself and your teammates. But remember, 
The name on the front of your jersey is much more important than you. Amen. And with that speech, they opened the locker doors, sent them out there, and the rest is history. They subdued the Russians. They were in such confusion. The Russians didn't know what hit them. At the end of 60 minutes of regulation time, the Americans carried the day and the trophy. Hallelujah! Oh, it's incredible. It's never been repeated since then. He said, Pastor, what's the relevance of that to this? The relevance is God, or rather Jesus, has appointed 70 to carry his message to every place where he himself is about to come to. And like Coach Herb Brooks, he gave him a pep talk. And a pep talk goes like this. This is what he said to them. From verse 2. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great. In other words, young boys and girls, the need around you is massive. I want you to know, I am not just sending you out. This is not IBM. This is not Apple. This is not General Electric. I am telling you, I'm placing you on a mission where the need among you is massive. You won't have to look to find it. Anywhere you are, there is going to be a need. First thing he told them. Second of all, but the laborers are few. The first thing, the harvest is great. There's a massive need. You don't have to look so far to recognize that people all around us need Jesus. But the second thing here, laborers are few. In other words, there's a meager workforce. It seems to me that, that the Pareto principle of 20% of the people doing 80% of the work still holds true today. The question Jesus is asking, the workforce is meager, but are you going to be a part of the minority workforce? The need is huge. But the laborers are few. The workforce is meager. Having said that, how would you respond? Are you going to be part of the minority that wants to become involved in the Jesus enterprise? And it tells them, next, in verse 3, go Behold, I send you as lambs among the wolves. In other words, this is not going to be a wimpy business. You are going as lambs among wolves. It is going to be tough idea where you're going. But go anyway. Because it is only as you go that you discover what I've placed in you. You can never know what I've placed in you until you step out and go. Because I am going to be the one at work in you to get the results you are looking to get. Go! Hallelujah. As lambs among the wolves. Amen? So it helps them understand that the nature of the assignment is going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Now, 
Not only did he talk to them, he also gave them a plan. 12.08, okay, good. He gave them a plan. So first, it tells them the nature of the work. The harvest is plenty. Laborers are few. I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Then he gives them a plan. And this is the plan you and I must get today. If we are going to be effective for God, this is the plan we must get. What is the plan Jesus gave them? Let's go to it. First thing he says in verse 4. Verse 4. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. What is he saying? What is he saying there? Travel light. Travel light. When they talk of money bags in the old days, it's not this wallet you put in your back pocket. And your, no, it's not like that. A money bag would be more like what Patrick carries. Ghana must go back. It's, it's a suitcase. It's a suitcase. It's a suitcase. Okay? So Jesus is saying, listen, I don't want you carrying anything that will hinder you. So for me and you today, what hinders us? What hinders our movement from out of the crowd through the 5,000 into the 70? What hinders us from moving closer to God? What is it? For some of us, it's technology. Television, Facebook, Nosebook, his book. Anything that will hold us back in our pursuit of him, you need to get rid of it. You need to get rid of it. You wake up in the morning. What's the first thought that comes to your heart? Is it Jesus? Or you mix text messages? You have to check those text messages first. First in the morning, 5 a.m., you check it first. You can't even think of God. You have a problem. You will never be as close to him as he wants you to be. Travel light. Shed some of that weight. And I'm not talking of pounds or sweat. No. I'm talking about things that we do that we are allowed into our lives that would not let us see Jesus. Second thing he told them. Greet no one along the road. Does it mean that Jesus wants, you to, wants us to be rude? No. No. In verse 4. This is the plan. If you're going to succeed in this mission, Lambs among the wolves. Number one, you travel light. Number two, don't greet anyone along the road. What's he saying? Stay focused. Stay focused. Listen, in our day and time, there are so many things coming at all of us to distract us. Life is full of so many opportunities. Some that can help us on our journey of faith and many others that can slow us down. We must determine every day with every opportunity is this a divine appointment or a diversion? You need to make that call. That's why what we taught this morning on values of biblical parenting is so important. If you don't have established values, everything that comes to you look good. Everything looks good. But when you've already determined certain things, there's no question. I've given you, given you guys my testimony. Years ago, for us, buying a house was not an option. I was not going to buy one. Why? Because I had a mandate. And the mandate and buying a house were mutually exclusive. So if you were a real estate person, brought deals to me, I didn't didn't have to say good morning to you. No, that's a distraction. So what I'm saying to each one of us is, you need to know where you're going. 
You need to have a sense of direction, a sense of purpose that's guiding you every moment that you wake up. If you don't have that, every phone call with every canvassing sale, you're going to sit down there like a silly fool for 15 minutes of your time. That time is gone. It's perishable. You can never get it back. You can never get it back. My time is the most valuable asset I have. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Most valuable asset. I am not going to let anybody else plan it for me. Yes, sir. Thank you. And what happens to all of us is if you don't have a plan, somebody has one for you. It's called diversion, it's called distraction, and it's called being off-ended. No, I'm not going there. But you will go there if you have no plan. So Jesus says to them, stay focused. This mission is not where you stop along the road and getting great, how you doing, da, 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 how you, and you take care of everybody else's business, but his business. No, it's not saying be rude, it's just saying be focused. Next one, this is the plan. Next one. In verse 7, let me read it. Let me read it. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. What is he talking about here? He's talking about cultivating the faithful people that God is going to bring in your life. Cultivating the faithful people that God is going to bring in your life. What do I mean by that? Once you get on a mission for God, once you begin to live a, a, a purposeful life, God will bring other people around you who is going in the same direction. So the, what Jesus is saying here is, don't waste your time with people that are going in the opposite direction. Yes. Don't try to convince them. Don't try, listen, you will know them by their fruit. And once you know that their journey is different from yours, don't waste your time. They're only going to hinder you. But those that God has brought alongside you to encourage you, in fact, it was Dr. McCampy that was saying this last night, uh, uh, yesterday. He said they did a research, Pastor Charles, at the Carnegie Institute. And they put these uh, geniuses in two different rooms and gave them the same material to read for eight hours. Eight hours in this room, eight hours in that room, experts, genius, the same material. And when those guys gave a summary of what they got from what they read in eight hours, when they did it independently by themselves, and then they brought them together to talking to one another, they said the productivity of what they got together one by another, one, one towards another, was three times more than one when they did alone. I don't think I, I explained that properly. The synergy you are talking about, about affinity, how one can chase a thousand and two can chase 10,000. How uh, um, uh, the deep cost upon the deep. Iron sharpened iron. The idea here is when we study separately, I get some information, you get some information. But when we come together to study together and rehash what we've learned, it was three times more. The point here being, when you get around the same people that's going the same direction with you, and you begin to compare notes, <laughs> you'll be amazed as you are sharing with them how much more they share back to you, and you are edified when you leave that fellowship. Amen. Yes, sir. 
But when you're trying to convince people that's going in a different direction, when you leave, you are drained. Cultivate the faithful people that God has placed around you. Don't go from house to house. Find people that's going in the same direction. Walk with them, talk with them, fellowship with them. Be strengthened by the strength that's in them as you strengthen them as well. Amen? Verse 9. This is the game plan. And heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. So, part of this game plan is to minister to people's felt needs. Okay? Heal the sick. Pray for their needs. Help them on, on their way. While we strive to bring people to the hope that comes from knowing Christ, we are also called to continually serve the real felt needs in people's lives. And the last thing he tells them in this great plan he gave them is also in verse 9, the kingdom of God has come near you. And I'm glad he put that together with the, with the, with the, when he said we should meet their needs. The last thing he said to them is, let the people you are serving know that the kingdom of God has come near you. First he says, minister to their felt needs. They need food, feed them. They need healing, pray for them. They need money, bless them. But don't just do that and walk away. Let them also know that kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Holistic ministry. Meet their immediate needs, but at the same time, give them the gospel. That was Jesus' game plan. So now, remember how we started? We're in the crowd. Came through 5,000. Became part of the 70. Who realizes now that we are now not just listening to a message, not just having our needs met, but we are now placed in service. The 70 is placement into kingdom service. Now, please, this is the crutch of this message. Remember Team USA? Remember their jersey? Remember the jersey of Team USA carried two names? The one on the front says what? USA. And the one on the back says Stephen Adams. Banker Kinmola. Greg Tata. Remember that? So as those boys are playing... They are consciously aware I'm an individual, but I carry and I represent my nation. All through that game. Now, with that understanding, let's go back to Luke 10 and see what happened to this 70 when they accomplished their mission. Luke 10, 18. No, 17. Luke 10, 17. Then, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Wow. 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 What a tremendous outreach. Yes. We had a great time in Clarkston. Yes. Glory to God. Demons were cast out. People were healed. Deliverances took place. My God, you should have been with us in Zimbabwe to see what God did. We had all kinds of things happen. 19 people got born again. 20 got baptized in the Holy Ghost. And on and on and on it went. That's the perspective of the 70. 
How about Jesus' perspective? And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. As if he did not hear what he said. You are rejoicing over demons? You are rejoicing over demons who are cast out? Really? I beheld Satan. Not just demons. Satan. The father of demons. He fell. It didn't take him a few minutes of your prayer time. Like lightning. Bang! You are rejoicing that demons are cast out? Really? In all of this enterprise, that's what they want to get you. Satan over whom you are rejoicing. I saw him fall like lightning. But not only that. I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the other powers of the enemy that we've not written. And nothing shall by enemies hurt you. What are you rejoicing over? Verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. That the spirits are subject to you. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. What, Jesus? You just pulled up a parade. You just messed about TBN testimony. The books deal is out of the window. Nobody's buying books because our names are written in heaven. But they will buy books if we say we cast our demons. Look at the perspective here. What is Jesus saying to them? Jesus was saying to them the same thing Coach Herb Brooks told Team USA. Don't be so concerned about what you did. Rather, your focus and perspective should be on the fact that someone wrote your names in the book of life. This is not about a job. This is not about works. This is about someone. It's not who you are doing something for, but who is employing you in the harvest. It's not about what you do, my God. It is about the finished work. That work that was finished, that allowed your name to be written before you were born. That should be the source of your joy. You should not be joyful just because you cast out a demon. Oh my God. Demons are too easy. They are too cheap. But the point is, someone paid the price. When you are a sinner, when you are steep in sin, when you are ungodly, died for your sins, was buried for your sins, rose again from the dead from your, from your victory and is alive now and because of that he has written your name in a book of life, you're rejoicing my god I wish I get some volume here, you're rejoicing should be in someone what someone has already done for you wrong emphasis as long as I only rejoice on the results of my work, mm. I never get close to him. Mm. I will not be able to come closer. 
because I'm rejoicing over the wrong things. My priority is wrong. I'm looking from a different glass. My perspective is not his perspective. But when I recognize, oh God, demons are subject, not because I went, but because the work is finished. Someone sent me. Jesus sent me. And Jesus, I come back and say, thank you. You are great. You are honorable. You are majestic. You are all that you say you are. There's no like you. You are the Alpha and the Omega. The eternal king. Oh my God. You are also the finish of my faith. Oh Jesus. Hallelujah. We have to become Jesus focused. Jesus plus nothing is everything. Not the works. Because after you are gone, there will be other people doing works. Before you are here, people are casting out devils. And after you are gone, they will cast out devils. But there is only going to be one son of God. Only one son of God. That's the only perspective that counts. Not our results. You're not going to take your results to heaven. No. There will be no parade in heaven for who casts out more devils. None. So why are you focusing on that? That's what it's telling them. Rather rejoice that your names are written. Rejoice is a finished work. And amazingly, he spends the rest of the chapter to make that point. That's what the story of the Samaritan is all about. And the story of Martha and Mary. Because later in the chapter, he tells them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. So immediately, to make this point, to, make, to teach them, to give them the illustration of the message he just gave them. He told them a parable. A man walking down on the road to Jericho. Wounded. Left alive. Left alone for dead. Here comes the priest. Saw him. And in my mind's eyes, Joseph, I have to think that the priest must be a Republican. Because this priest saw the guy like, ah, oh, no, yeah, we can, we, you know, this guy is not part of us. We can, I can't be defiled with this man because, you know, my righteousness is so hard. Yes. Am I correct? He must be a Republican, at least. Yes. This is a priest. And then Levi came along. Who must be in the, uh, uh, the Levi must be a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> Because we have to have balance. <laughs> and like his Republican friend, he also saw him, left him alone. <laughs> because for both of those guys, both the Republican and the Democrat, this man on the ground is a nuisance to be avoided. Have they not been avoiding you in Washington? Who's speaking to your needs? That's why we must elect people who will hear us and do what we want done. But let's, let's move on. Let's just move on. So the priest and the Levite saw this man on the ground as a nuisance to be avoided. But the Samaritan that came along saw him as an opportunity to, to, to glorify God. Amen. 
Now, Jesus could have ended the chapter right there. So he showed us an example of good works. Getting involved in loving your neighbor. It is important you have to do that. But he did not close the chapter on that. Immediately after that, goes on to the house of Martha and Mary. And gave us a very important contrast so that we don't leave the chapter thinking that it's looking for works. Or for service. Now, service and works are important in their right context. Please understand me. You come from the crowd, you receive from me in the 5,000, you become part of the 70, and you have to be placed in ministry for service to him. Absolutely. But the emphasis is making your service in and of itself is not really what thrills him. It's the fact that you are serving him with a wow in your mind. Wow meaning, wow, God, you are awesome. Wow, how can I even do this? Wow, why would you even invite me here? Wow, why would you use a man like me, a woman like me to do this? Wow, God, you are just awesome. You are wonderful. You are too much. Wow, God, what I'm doing is an ad flow of the life you give me. Wow, wow, wow. And all the wow is wow him. If you miss the wow, your work is nonsense. Whatever you find to do, Colossians tell us, we must do it as unto the Lord. So you must have this mindset that whatever you are doing, you are doing it because of him and for him and through him and by him. Him is the important thing here. So he goes to Martha and Mary's house and Martha was just going on. Doing what she needed to do. Serving. And Mary was, was not doing that. Sat at his feet. So mother complained and said, Jesus, won't you tell my sister to help me? Come on now. It's too much work. Division of labor, after all. Jesus said, Martha, you are in combat with way too many things. Going back again to this morning's instruction. Priorities. Serving is not wrong. We must serve. There's a place for service. But you must not put the priority in the wrong places. First things first. Mary said, I will not serve until I get a life from him. My service will be out of a life overflow. Let it first affect me. When he has affected me sufficiently enough, out of that affection, I can go and serve. And when I'm serving, you will feel and sense my affection because I've got it from him. Yes. Direct. How many times do you have ushers or, or, or store clerks and you go into the store, you want some help, and the way they talk to you, yes, what do you want? <laughs> they are working, they are serving. But the, the, the tone and the body language and what they're saying is that you get out of my sight. <laughs> and you are saying to yourself, if I escape this place today, I'm not coming back. That's true. We say that about stores. It's happening in the church. Yes. People who are supposed to carry the love of God to touch other people, they are meaner than a snake. Yes. Why? Because they have not been affected by him. They are only serving out of obligation. Mm. And for them, their focus is the demons that they cast out, not the one who gave them power. Mm. Uh, uh. 
We need to come closer. Jesus said, what Mary has, I will never take it away from her. Because it's the needful thing that will help empower her to work for me. So in the 70, the takeaway lesson for all of us is service must be for someone. Someone that being Jesus. Jesus. You never prioritize the power over the, over, over the person. What I mean by power? I cast a devil. The power of God is working in me. Who gave you that power? The person. The person. The person. The person. Amen? So as we reprioritize our lives and get rid of the things that will not allow us to travel light and to stay focused, and we spend the time that we need to spend with him, we are not only gainfully employed in his service, but we do it with his mindset. We do it with his name on the front of our justice. Yes. We know on the front of this justice, it spells Jesus. Jesus. And that name on the front is bigger and better than the one on the back. Yes. So, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for helping us to know and to see of a great plan to bring us to a closer and intimate walk with you. Lord, I don't know what excess luggage we are carrying this morning. Excess luggage. Baggage that you've not placed on us, but we've placed on ourselves through wrong choices, bad decisions, that's impeding our progress in you. And so, Father, this morning I want to pray that your Holy Spirit will shed light, will speak to any of us clearly of those areas, things that you want to help us with, for us to release it to you so that you can minister to them. I thank you, Lord God, that no one will leave this place this afternoon in the same way as they came in. I thank you for the transformative power of your spirit that is at work even right now to bring change. Change, Lord. Change, change, change. Change. Change, Lord. Change. Change, Lord. Draw us closer as we draw now unto you. You say when we draw now unto you, you draw now unto us. So Father, we, we take that initiative this morning. We, we draw now. We draw now. We recognize there's life in nothing else but in and through you. So Jesus, it is our desire this day to make you the main thing, the main one in our lives. Help us with the choices we make, decisions we make. Help us, Jesus. Help us. Help us. Thank you, Father. We honor, we bless you. In Jesus' name.